Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here to talk about everything that went down this week on SmackDown and Raw, all tied up nice and tight for you in one episode as always. We're coming off a huge weekend of professional wrestling, mostly because AEW All Out made massive headlines. We have an instant analysis podcast waiting for you in our archive right now, in our podcast feed that you can listen to. It's on pace to be the most listened to episode in show history, so be sure not to miss that. But today, of course, we are here to talk WWE, and we're going to get to that momentarily. First, folks, you know that getting over has to remind you about something when we begin these shows because getting over is we are all about the five here what that means please head on over to apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review let people know how much you love this podcast tell them why they should be listening to the getting over wrestling podcast because all we want to do is keep on growing we cracked the top 25 a couple weeks ago fell back just a little bit out of that we want to be you know, a top 10 wrestling podcast in the United States. It's going to take a lot to get there. Trust me, not happening immediately, but you guys supporting the show, promoting it, telling your friends and family, all of that helps massively. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. Not only do you get to see the shows as soon as they get posted, you can participate in polls, send us questions, DM slides uh, for each episode and vote in pre and post show polls ahead of pay-per-views. Hey, guess what? We also do live shows on Twitter, Twitter Spaces, before every single pay-per-view. We do a 30-minute free live show. All you need to do is follow us, and you're able to listen and contribute, participate in those as well. So thank you guys for all of your support to this point. Uh, We're moving into football season, and when we do that, that means taping, getting over, becomes more strenuous, a little bit more difficult for myself, uh, the Silver King, and for vintage Chris Vanini. Uh, We are huge football fans. We both work in sports, uh, but this is indeed a labor of love and your support means uh, the world to us. In fact, many of the messages and notes that we get from some of you guys, uh, you know, they're awesome. They're awesome to hear. And I just want to appreciate all of you for taking the time to listen to us each week. Now, today's show, like I said, it's a total WWE episode. However, in a rarity, unfortunately, the Silver King will be operating solo today. Uh, Chris, had some family things to attend to. He will not be joining us. That's good and bad. It's bad because we want Chris here. We love talking with him about WWE. It's good because we get to run through the show a little bit quicker than usual. So let's take that as a slight positive. Uh, There's a lot that happened on SmackDown and Raw. And I guess the best way I can explain this week in WWE is that perception-wise, it was a tough week for the company once again because they had two shows in my opinion, that were both mostly mediocre surrounding a stellar pay-per-view that AEW put on in All Out that is the talk of professional wrestling right now. You can't deny it. Whether you like AEW or not, it is the talk of professional wrestling. I was not as bullish on SmackDown as I normally am. A lot of it actually disappointed me. But Raw, I was actually, I guess, pleasantly surprised maybe, counter to a lot of people that I saw thought the show was another disaster. All I really want out of my professional wrestling television is good in-ring action 
and storylines that make sense. It would be great if the storylines were good as well. But them making sense, being logical, is really that first step. And there were some things on Raw this week, I have to say, I liked for a change, even if there were other massive creative issues on the show. And of course, we don't like Karrion Cross and we don't like Dewdrop, just like most people. But there were some things, especially regarding that tag team turmoil main storyline that took up basically 50% of Raw that I enjoyed. So we're going to get into all of that. We'll start off, as always, with the main event. And then I'll run solo on the good, the bad, and the ugly today. But hey, that's cool. You know, first time for everything. Let's kick things off, as we always do here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, by sliding into that main event. So we will start with SmackDown, where the big story was the Universal Championship match between Roman Reigns and Finn Balor. Paul Heyman was interviewed backstage by Kayla Braxton when Brock Lesnar's music played twice as a ringtone on his phone. Heyman answered but tried to get off the phone before he bumped into Big E, who was dressed as a janitor and laughed in his face with the Money in the Bank briefcase, as he's been doing for about like three weeks now. Reigns dismissed the Usos from his locker room as Heyman told him they have a problem because Lesnar said he'll be at SmackDown next week inside Madison Square Garden. Reigns didn't seem concerned, but he remained suspicious about Heyman's loyalties. SmackDown, I thought was rough mostly on Friday, but the rain stuff was easily the best part of the show. I know that's normally the case, but generally you can point to other things being great on SmackDown. On this particular show, it was mostly the rain stuff. This set the stage for next week at Madison Square Garden. It maintained questions not only about Heyman's loyalty, but about how much Reigns actually trusts him. And I found that to be an intriguing part of the storyline. So we got the match, the main event, uh, with about 25 minutes left. Balor finally got to cut a promo saying he plans to answer the question of what would have happened if he never got injured when he became the first Universal Champion. I like that callback. Balor was finishing his entrance when the Usos attacked, brutalized him, picked up the steel steps, rammed him into his torso, and the Street Profits came in to make the save, avoiding an Uso splash. We'll get to the tag teams later because that's something else that happened on the show we will talk about. Balor was evaluated by trainers but chose to fight, and WWE aired a September 11th SmackDown promo when coming back from the next commercial while the match was already in progress. I absolutely hate when WWE does this, and it's almost always on Fox, but it happens sometimes on USA Network as well. If there's a match in progress, you should not be airing a branded commercial that is taking time away from watching the actual match, especially when it is a world championship match in the main event of your show. Use that time and let me as a fan watch the product. I want to watch the wrestling. Air that commercial before the match begins. Air it an hour earlier. Air it three times on the show if you want. I don't care. Just don't do it while there's people in the ring working, especially in a championship match, especially for the world championship, especially in the main main event of your show. That was infuriating to me. We get back from that and we see, and this made it worse, We see everyone standing and cheering, but we as viewers have no idea why, because we didn't get to see the great moves that preceded it, and we barely ultimately got to see like 10 minutes of this main event match. Reigns missed a Superman punch, and Balor stomped all over him before hitting a tope cannonball. Reigns dodged a coup de grace and hit a Superman punch for a near fall. Balor countered a spear with a kick and an inside cradle for a really good 2.8 count. Then he hit a sling blade for another. He connected with a missile dropkick and the coup de gras, but Reigns gave a absolutely insane kick out 
at 2.99 and simultaneously hit Balor with a low blow and a great moment to end the match. He locked in the guillotine after that for the win. Now we'll discuss what happened after the match in a moment. The finish to this match was stellar. Combining the low blow with the Usos attack, that protected Balor immensely before it even began, and commentary explained that. I hated the attack at first, but given the booking, it did make sense. While I wish this wasn't as definitive of a finish, given Balor was choked out, the rest of the show was filled with short matches and disqualifications that were all so frustrating to me as a viewer, so I was just happy to have something solid here. Credit to WWE also, the camera work on that 2.99 kickout and the low blow simultaneously was great. It was an incredible false finish, despite it being a quick match. This was easily the best stuff, like I said, on the entire show. I went with four stars and an A-. minus. Maybe that's a little bit generous because we missed so much of it, but it was so exciting and the finish was so good. I very much enjoyed this match. Now, after the match, as Reigns and Heyman walked to the back, red lights flashed in the ring and a heartbeat sound briefly played. That concerned both of them as SmackDown ended. Now, this was clearly, obviously, a tease for the return of the Demon. Now, whether that happens soon, ahead of Extreme Rules, perhaps, for a rematch, or it develops long-term, maybe we get past this, we get past Crown Jewel, and Balor gets a rematch at Night of Champions. Either way, that's really exciting. If I had a choice, I'd prefer it not to be for this pay-per-view, as I would love to see it play out over time. But if they do make this move quickly, or even if they do make it long-term, it would be an absolute shame if they bring the demon back and just have Reigns beat him and retain the title. It literally ruins the aura and the mystique of that character, and you're basically bringing it back with Balor, only to have him lose. That would be terrible. It would be a great and surprising way to change the title and take it off Reigns. I think fans would go apeshit if Finn Balor beat Roman Reigns for the WWE Championship. You want uh, the Universal Championship, I'm sorry. You want to talk about things that can combat AEW's growing popularity? WWE only has so many triggers it can pull at this point, especially given the talent, not just the, the amount, but the names that they have lost to AEW, namely Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, and Adam Cole most recently. Finn Balor as a world champion and putting on you know top tier matches with the likes of Seth Rollins and Edge and Big E and the people they have on that roster, Cesaro, Kevin Owens, etc. That's one way to combat it. So I would be very interested and very hopeful that if they make this change, they actually put the title on Balor. But given the storyline with Brock Lesnar, given the fact that we all feel at least like a rock feud is coming sooner than later, they're going to have to figure out what to do with Roman Reigns in the Universal Championship because he ain't going to be able to hold it for two years straight. And Brock Lesnar winning and becoming champion again is really not a good idea. So I am really curious to see how all this plays out. And that curiosity for me was piqued based on what we got on SmackDown. So we'll move over to Raw for this main event segment. And like I said, what I'm about to break down for you on Raw, which is all connected to the tag team turmoil match to create a number one contender for the Tag Team Championships, a division that we normally feel is forgotten about on WWE television, this took basically 90 minutes of the show. It took the entire first hour from promo to the last match that was 
contested in the first hour, and then the final 30 minutes. That's 50% of a three-hour raw broadcast was dedicated to this. And I did see people that didn't like it. I, I saw a lot of people, actually, that didn't like it. I thought this was an exceedingly well-done tag team turmoil. The storyline worked. It made sense the entire time. I was not a huge fan of the winners and how it finished, but each individual match got a lot of time. Uh, The promos we'll talk about in a moment. Everything just kind of worked together for me, at least as a viewer. So let's get to it. RK Bro opened the show, cutting a pretty shitty, let's be honest, promo in the ring. Riddle was basically just rambling stream of consciousness style. Uh, Bobby Lashley and MVP told Randy Orton he was going to pay for the RKO that ended Raw last week. Lashley challenged Orton and Orton said, hey man, you wanted two titles last week. All right, I'll accept your challenge if you put the WWE title on the line. MVP accepted. And then Lashley said they were going to put themselves in the tag team turmoil tournament so that Lashley could be a double champion. Let's not forget. Lashley and MVP just challenged for the titles last week, and they failed, but yet they're still in this tournament. Anyway, uh, New Day cut their typical promo, and Xavier Woods reminded Lashley he beat him a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, great, they're bringing that up again. Maybe Xavier Woods is going to get an opportunity, except he doesn't follow up on it by demanding a title shot, which is just absurd. Everyone else in WWE history, when you beat a champion, you get a title shot, except Xavier Woods for some reason. I don't get that. Uh, Now, overall, there was nothing wrong with all of this, but it was low energy. The first promo didn't really get them going. Lashley fumbled his words. Now, Orton challenging for the title will make for a good pay-per-view match. It's going to happen at Extreme Rules, but it's obviously just a placeholder until they get through Goldberg at Blood Money in the Sand 6. I presume that's going to be a non-title match. I hope, I pray that it is based on Goldberg's promo. With Survivor Series in November, it's looking like Lashley may hold this title until at least TLC in December, if not 2022. So all of that is pretty interesting. Let's get to the tag team turmoil. The teams involved were AJ Styles and Omos, New Day, Viking Raiders, Jinder Mahal and Veer, Lucha House Party, Mustafa Ali and Mansoor, T-Bar and Mace, and Bobby Lashley and MVP. The original seven teams before Lashley and MVP were added all cut 10-second promos to open Raw. It was like an old-school WWE Superstars episode. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, New Day versus the Viking Raiders was the first match. The Raiders hit a great assisted springboard clothesline on Kofi Kingston. Then Woods took a huge splash from Ivar. Kofi caught Ivar with Trouble in Paradise as Woods got Eric with an inside cradle. This was the best mini-match of the turmoil, and it was the first one that we got. It alone was like a solid B, B-minus match in its mini you know, attributes. It got a lot of time. Next was Jinder and Veer against New Day. That ended with up, up, down, down. New Day won. New Day then fought Lucha House Party. There were double moonsaults by LHP and Kofi got a near fall with a frog splash to Grand Metalik's back. Kofi then saved Woods after he took two awesome moonsaults from Lucha House Party. Woods reversed a great move basically into like a falling face down styles clash with a pinning combination for the win. Woods showed out massively in all of these matches. He was the MVP of the entire tag team turmoil, and he's been one of the best wrestlers on Raw for the better part of two months. So big credit to Xavier Woods. Uh, New Day against T-Bar and Mace was the next match, and that ended with Woods rolling up T-Bar. And after that, the heels T-Bar and Mace attacked New Day. Then Mustafa Ali and Mansoor came out. Mansoor ran in to help because he's a good guy. And Ali reluctantly joined him, but all four guys 
got absolutely destroyed by T-Bar and Mace with steel steps, thrown into the post, the barricade. It was by far the best T-Bar and Mace have ever looked on the main roster. Full stop. As I've said before, if they just changed their names and their gimmick, they could make it as a tag team on the main roster and even have championship potential. It makes no sense why they are still T-Bar and Mace doing the stupid shit, the stupid promos with the paint on their face. Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville, after this whole thing, announced the match would continue later because they wanted to give New Day and Mustafa Ali and Mansoor time to recover. And I actually thought this was a creative and inventive way to handle this. Take a main event, you know it's going to go about an hour, hour and a half, and split it up over the opening of the show, but keep people glued to the screen for the main event. I think people, when they book Raw in their heads or or what they want Raw to be, they think about SmackDown or they think about Dynamite. And they're like, those are two-hour shows, all right? With Raw, it is very difficult to keep the audience engaged for three straight hours. WWE does actively have to be inventive and creative in order to do things, to keep to get people to stay not only to the start of the 10 p.m. hour, but stay to the end of the 10 p.m. hour. I thought this was as inventive and unique uh, as of uh, a booking as WWE's done in a long time. My only problem with the entire thing was they saved two teams that had absolute beasts on them in Bobby Lashley and Omas for last, which made it obvious that New Day wasn't going to win the entire thing, despite going on an awesome run. It seemed obvious that with Lashley, you know, interjecting himself into this, even though MVP was there to possibly take the fall, it seemed obvious that they would win. We'll get to that in a moment. So fast forward to the final 30 minutes of Raw, because that first thing I just broke down there took the first hour of the program, literally one full hour. And you had New Day against Ali and Mansoor. That restarted. Kofi hit an SOS and then stood on Mansoor's back to superplex Ali in a great spot. After yelling instructions to Mansoor, Ali tagged in and countered Trouble in Paradise with a super kick. Kofi dodged a 450 splash and hit Trouble in Paradise as Woods delivered his tightrope elbow drop to make New Day 4-0 with another win. This was another very fun match, three stars, 3.25 stars. But this and the Viking Raiders match inside this whole thing were really fun. Styles and Omos came up next. All the other matches were fast-paced and fun. So by the, by the time this one started, it was really slow-paced and boring. There was a botch followed by a really great save by Styles and a, some cool counters plus Trouble in Paradise by Kofi. But Omos broke the pin and handed Kofi two Styles, literally like upside down, so he could put him in the Styles Clash and get the one, two, three, which was a cool and, you know, a little bit fun finish to that match. Next up was Lashley and MVP. Lashley dominated Styles right away, but they were fun together in the ring when they got an opportunity. Then Omos and Lashley stood face to face and did a test of strength. Lashley got huge face chance. The crowd, as soon as Omos got tagged in, stood on its feet, like anticipating what was going to happen. Omos reversed a vertical suplex, and this, in the history of wrestling, may have been peak. Big meaty men slapping me. <laughs> I mean, if they could have somehow gotten like Biggie and Braun Strowman in there, I think the place would have imploded upon itself. Uh, but it was awesome to see Lashley and Omos go toe to toe. And that's the type of stuff we talk about where 
each week Raw is the same and there's rematches and all this shit. That was unique. That was new and different. Fans really cared to see it. Styles splashed Lashley and Orton off the announce table and Omos threw Riddle into the barricade and then over the announce table. I probably should have mentioned that uh, Randy Orton and Riddle were both at ringside for, throughout this entire uh, turmoil. They were there sitting on commentary at the beginning of the show or sitting next to commentary, I'm sorry, at the beginning of the show and they were there again at the end of the show. The match finished with Lashley avoiding a phenomenal forearm and immediately turning around, running, hitting a spear to get the pin to a bunch of face cheers. Then Omos hit a double choke slam on Lashley, which was another really cool, fun spot. And Orton took Lashley out with the RKO out of nowhere a second time to end the show. A lot happened here, okay? Let's talk positives and negatives. The positives, the wrestling throughout this entire thing was strong. Every match had its own identity. New Day did an incredible job, of course, all night. Uh, The Viking Raiders, T-Bar and Mace, and Ali and Mansoor were all at least slightly elevated by being in this match. And the finish of the show with Lashley and Omos, plus the Orton RKO, that popped the crowd massively. The crowd was going crazy the final 10 minutes of the show, legitimately. But there were negatives. This was a wasted opportunity to put over a different tag team for a change. Now, I didn't expect that once I saw the lineup, but that's a good way to use a turmoil match. The tag team title match booked for next week's show is a rematch from last week's show with Lashley and MVP going up against RK Bro again. There were two different number one contendership matches on Raw. The results of both of them created immediate rematches for the Raw Tag Team titles and United States Championship. What's the point of doing number one contender matches if you're just going to give us rematches? You're basically just using it as an excuse to give a rematch and not book better where you have all of these people involved in these things, all you need to do is have a different winner and book a different match. It is infuriating. You know how much fun it would be to randomly see RK Bro against Mustafa Ali and and um, Mansoor or Lucha House Party? Or maybe you just give T-Bar and Mace a little bit of an opportunity, a little bit of a push. They're two big guys. They can beat Styles and they can beat MVP. There are so many ways that you could do this and have it not be totally stale booking, which is what we got from Raw, what we always get from Raw. And that's the frustrating thing because the booking on the show for this match wasn't stale. It was fresh, it was new, it was a little bit different, it was inventive, I gave it credit, but the end result is still stale at the end of the day. That's the frustrating part. Um, The match was good and different two weeks ago, like I said, but now we're just getting it again, and it's clearly just to buy time until the pay-per-view. And another frustration is it ties up the tag team division in the same storyline as the WWE title picture, which creates fewer opportunities for other people to get meaningful segments on TV over the next few weeks. A better booking would have been to have separate winners for the title match on the go-home show to Extreme Rules or a match at Extreme Rules if Randy Orton was not booked against Lashley for the title. That way you're elevating both championships in different unique feuds and utilizing more people. I don't know why they can't figure that out. Uh, Like I said, this took up about half of Raw, all things considered, and I really didn't mind it. I just wish the resolution was smarter and more impactful because the conceptualization of the entire thing was strong. So again, two main events, uh, one for SmackDown, one for Raw, that delivered, but 
created questions, less, way less on the SmackDown side. The Raw side, it's just you have this good thing that that you figured out that you're going to do, but you still somehow in booking it can't completely get out of your own way. And of course, that to me is frustrating. So with that, let's move into the next segment on the show, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we're going to go back and forth, SmackDown Raw, good, bad, ugly. We're going to trade everything here. Uh, let's start with Seth Rollins and Cesaro. They had a singles match. It was the seventh time they fought since April. And Rollins didn't really give an explanation why. I know he tried to, but he didn't succeed in doing so. Cesaro ate the Impaler DDT, which Edge normally does, and the Edge-O-Matic, along with a buckle bomb. He countered a stomp into a power bomb. Rollins took a swing 20 times before escaping a sharpshooter. Rollins grabbed the chair to block Cesaro's running European uppercut, causing a disqualification in 10 minutes. He broke a bar off the chair and locked Cesaro in a crossface and another Edge callback before hitting a stomp. Rollins prepared a concerto when Edge finally ran down to make the save. Edge later said he understood why Rollins can't let go of their rivalry and his loss at SummerSlam because Edge, if he was in his position, would be the exact same way. Then he challenged him to a rematch, not at Extreme Rules, but at Madison Square Garden next week for SmackDown. So Cesaro here basically got sacrificed for a completely unrelated storyline, and he'll probably never get retribution for it because Rollins and Cesaro already had their feud. They could have put so many other people in this spot Instead, they just threw Cesaro in there for no good reason. Other than that, and I do hate that concept, this did make sense as a way to continue the Edge-Rollins feud, even though as of last week, we were pleasantly surprised on this podcast that it appeared to have ended. I figured the rematch would be at Extreme Rules. A chairs match would, of course, make a lot of sense, but they've decided to run it back, presumably as the main event or the main event match. Maybe Roman Reigns and Lesnar will be the main event moment at Madison Square Garden next week. I have to believe this will be another DQ finish, setting up a chairs match. And even though I would have done it differently, I'll say good because they had it make sense and we're getting a big match on a big show. Edge and Rollins together really can't do much wrong. But man, just have Rollins beat Cesaro clean or have him hit him with a chair outside that the referee doesn't see, roll him back inside tap him out, then grab the bar from the chair and do the tap out again, um, you know, a second time. Just just let matches end clean. Like I said, there were two matches on SmackDown that ended in DQ and two others that were two minutes long. And as a viewer watching this show, you guys who follow on Twitter saw, I was so negative about SmackDown because everything I wanted to invest into either ended in a disqualification or lasted two minutes on television. If you're going to have two two-minute matches, get rid of one of them, have a five to 10-minute match, and run that other match the following week. It's not hard. Not everyone has to be on every single episode of television. Nevertheless, I'm going to say good here. The elements were good. The execution just wasn't fantastic. Bianca Belair uh, confronted Becky Lynch. Becky got face chants and cheers. She said it's not her fault Bianca Belair wasn't ready at SummerSlam when she got called to save the show after Sasha Banks was out. It seemed like there were piped in jeers for Becky, like boos, during this segment. Belair came out and embraced the embarrassment she suffered, but said she'll never make excuses. She said Lynch should defend the title, just like Reigns was going to in the main event. 
Becky said she doesn't give a damn what Roman does, saying no and throwing the microphone. Adam and P- Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville later told Becky that her championship match will happen and it will take place at Extreme Rules with a contract signing next week at Madison Square Garden. So WWE somehow managed to bring Becky back and create a storyline where she has basically no juice whatsoever and is simultaneously cooling off Bel Air. At least that's what I got from this segment. The crowd didn't seem overly enthusiastic about either of them. It actually takes effort to book that poorly. Neither of their promos accomplished anything, and there was nothing at all redeeming about this, at least for me. I saw some people really liked it and disagreed with me saying I didn't. But to me, this was not the most objectionable thing on SmackDown. In fact, it doesn't even come close. It was probably among the top half of things we got on the show. But for the purposes of this segment, rating this confrontation between Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch, I actually rated it bad. I did not like this. And I don't think they're doing either woman uh, a service by booking them the way they have been. Now, it was a little bit spoiled, I guess, on on, uh, social media. Apparently, Sasha Banks was back at SmackDown, back at WWE. She was backstage at the show. I don't know what the booking is going to be for Extreme Rules, but what would make a lot of sense to me would be to do this contract signing next week, have Sasha Banks show up, you get a massive pop from the Madison Square Garden crowd, and book a triple threat match at Extreme Rules, which would allow Sasha to get pinned and give Bianca Belair an excuse not to be champion, but to not lose the match by pinfall or submission. That's at least what I would do. So let's stay with the women and we'll move over to Raw where there was a Raw Women's Championship match, Charlotte Flair against Nia Jax. Now you guys remember last week I said this match that we got with Jax beating Flair, at least in my mind that I can remember for television was the worst match of 2021. So this didn't really have a lot to live up to, and it had every potential to exceed expectations. Expectations were this would again be the worst match of 2021. Flair backstage cut one of her more natural promos that she has in a long time, basically telling Jack she was going to put her in her place and shove the queen's crown up her behind. Jax said Flair freaked out last week because Flair was overpowered like she never has been before and said she would stick the queen's crown up her royal behind. It's 10 p.m. Just say ass. Just say butt. There's so many other ways to say this. You don't need to say behind. I know it's a PG show, but you're allowed to say ass. Like, what the fuck? It's not a curse word, ass. Just say it. Butt, ass, whatever. Anyway, Shayna Baszler grabbed the mic after the bell rang. it's, it's, It's so corny. It's corny unnecessarily to do things like that. It makes your product not look cool. That's my problem. Anyway, Shayna Baszler grabbed the mic after the bell rang and asked whether Jax would win the title or choke in the match. Flair attacked Jax. They brawled in a callback to last week's shit fest. It was a work shoot type of brawl to start the match. The referee separated them. Flair talked shit. She grabbed her title and went to leave when Baszler got in her face outside. Then Jax grabbed Charlotte by the hair and actually started the match. Flair powerbombed Jax off the ropes, then got thrown backwards into a turnbuckle. Flair kind of hit her moonsault outside, not really. Baszler nearly ran into Jax trying to hit Flair. Baszler distracted Jax when she had Flair prone in the corner, and Flair caught her with the natural selection flying off the top rope to retain the title in a pretty decent finish to the match. Now, I am just as shocked as you are 
that I am going to say this, but I legitimately liked this entire thing. The start of the match was unique. Obviously, they were playing off of what happened last week. Baszler's involvement from the start was interesting and hopefully created the breakup storyline with her and Jax that we've been waiting to get for seemingly like six months at this point, starting when Reggie joined them and it seemed like Reggie was going to split them apart, but they never did. This match was actually decent. The finish was strong. And top to bottom, this was good. And I loved Shayna Baszler getting in Flair's face, almost like, hey, after this bliss shit is over, Baszler's going to be the challenger. I would love for her to get that singles opportunity and, you know, get pushed as a single star on Raw. Or maybe it's just a way for, hey, since she screwed Jax, maybe Jax is like, oh, it's okay, don't worry, makes believe they're still friends and then screws Baszler, you know, after Extreme Rules, whenever Baszler gets her title shot. And then that actually is the breakup storyline. But one way or the other, they need to break up Jax and Baszler. They need both of them as singles wrestlers. Baszler needs to be getting featured more on TV. She has character. She has in-ring talent. I'm sick of seeing her in tag team matches with Jax as the one who always takes the fall. But again, this whole thing, and it had a lot to do with Shayna Baszler's involvement. I actually thought it was good to my surprise. Now, after the win, Alexa Bliss showed up on the Titantron and invited Flair to Alexa's playground. Flair turned her down. So Bliss insulted the Flares and said she'd bring the playground to her. Lights flashed and then they went black with suddenly turning, when they turned back on, Bliss and Lily appeared right behind Charlotte. Charlotte calmly turned around and asked what Bliss wanted. Alexa pointed to the title. The crowd chanted yes loudly. Flair accepted and said the ring is her playground. Now Flair versus Bliss is something fans have wanted forever. I don't think any of them thought it would occur in this manner, right? Uh, But this did completely muddy the waters in terms of face and heel dynamics, given Alexa was insulting the Flares as a family. I wish this was being given a bigger platform with a more normal storyline. But I have to say, again, I'm just surprised that I'm saying all of this. Their interaction was solid. The match setup made sense even though the storyline, the the character that Alexa Bliss plays is ridiculous. So again, to my total surprise, I'm grading this good also and putting the Jack storyline in the middle of this without seeing Bliss last week, that was the strange part. But given the way the circle completed this week, both with Flair beating Jax, Baszler's involvement, and Alexa Bliss getting her challenge in any way, all of that just happened to work for me. So you may tell me I'm crazy. It's okay if you do. I'm just telling you the truth. I thought this was surprisingly good. Uh, Drew McIntyre fought Sheamus in a United States Championship number one contender match. Sheamus hit a huge superplex that rocked the ring. Sheamus mocked McIntyre's countdown, but got caught with a clothesline and a future shock DDT for a near fall. McIntyre nearly submitted Sheamus with a Kimura lock. Sheamus then caught him with a pumped knee for a near fall. This match was super entertaining, but fans the entire time were just sitting on their hands, not making a sound. I had no idea why. McIntyre hit white noise on Sheamus, then ripped Sheamus's mask off. Sheamus countered the Claymore into a roll-up, grabbing the tights, and he got the win. This was a terrible finish, of course, with a roll-up to a great match. McIntyre responded by smacking Sheamus in the face with his mask and then hitting a Claymore to end the segment. 
And then Damian Priest backstage cut a promo about having Sheamus' number, promising to beat him again, and not being concerned that he's the number one contender. And for Priest, the champion, to be able to cut that promo for a new number one contender tells you as a fan, this is a terrible decision as a number one contender because even Damian Priest knows he's already beat his ass a couple times. This match should not be happening again. So these guys, Sheamus and McIntyre, lost a triple threat match for the title last week, yet they then get a number one contendership match for one of them to get an opportunity again. That's ridiculous. Sheamus, who looked like he might challenge for the WWE title two weeks ago, given his backstage interaction with Lashley, and that would have been a fresh angle, is instead getting a tired rematch with Priest for the United States title. That's ridiculous. And McIntyre, a face, was a sore loser at the end of the match. That's ridiculous. So I want to separate these two things. The match was good itself. It was like 3.75 stars and a B plus. The action was great between Drew McIntyre and Sheamus, as it always is. But the booking was so illogical and the creative was so bad, given everything I just said, that ultimately I have to say the booking here, the entirety of it was bad. But again, the match was very good. The Usos uh, fought the Street Profits in a championship contenders match on SmackDown. Both teams cut short promos to open the show with the Usos saying they are the ones, which seems to be part of this bloodline gimmick. It's on the new t-shirts, whatever. Uh, The Usos caught Montez Ford flying outside and swung him into the barricade. The Prophets hit the anointment and Ford's rotating frog splash, but Jey Uso broke the fall. He threw Ford through the turnbuckles into the post and then did it a second time on the other side of the ring. And the referee called a disqualification even though that has never been a disqualification in the history of WWE. This is bullshit, man! Absolute bullshit. There was a brawl outside before Ford hit a tope con hero to end the segment with the Prophets standing tall atop the announce table. Reigns then demanded to see his cousins after the match. This was absolutely pathetic booking. The match, to my surprise, was formulaic as hell, even if there were a couple moves that were, you know, fun. The finish was absolutely atrocious and it made no one look good. It was booked to make the Profits the number one contenders, but that could have been achieved in a million other ways, including a tag team gauntlet match. They basically just did one on Raw or another tag team, Alpha Academy, who's been dominating people recently, just going head to head with the Street Profits in a simple number one contendership match. I was so offended by the booking of the disqualification. It's like when, I think it was Charlotte Flair or whoever picked up the top of the announce table and and slammed it into someone's face. And yes, okay, maybe they weren't using an object at ringside like the steel steps or something like that um, because they physically picked it up and used it versus just throwing someone into it. Uh, But still, this has never been, this is even worse because people get thrown into the ring post through the turnbuckles all the time in WWE, and it has never been a disqualification. So for them to just decide, hey, we're going to use that as a DQ, it's just like the laziest possible booking that you can have, taking something that's not otherwise a DQ and making it a DQ. It would be like throwing someone into the barricade or throwing someone into the steel steps and the referee saying, nope, that's it. This is a disqualification, even though it's never been one before. So this was ugly, not bad, 
ugly. I hated this. I couldn't believe they booked it this way. We had the KO show with Happy Corbin. This is the name of him now. Uh, Corbin entered in a Rolls Royce and introduced Logan Paul to open the segment, who this time embraced the booing rather than being used as a face for who knows what reason over on Raw. Kevin Owens said them being friends makes sense because they're both useless pieces of trash. You got to pop for that. Logan insulted KO's looks and waved $100 at him. KO told him to walk his ass out of the ring. They shoved each other and the crowd loved it until Corbin cheap shot at Owens and chokeslammed him. Logan then threw cash down at Owens. I promise you, I'm even surprising myself here, but I actually enjoyed this. KO basically got to tell Logan Paul what we all really think about him, even if it was in kayfabe, and it had storyline implications. Plus, Corbin and Logan together, it just kind of makes sense, right? So again, to my true shock, I'm going with good on this, and we all wanted the Kevin Owens-Baron Corbin feud. Now we're getting it. So again, this was good. Uh, Natalia and Taminer over on Raw fought Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley in a championship contenders match. The faces cut a promo backstage with Nikki forcing Ripley to reluctantly prompt her for their tag team name, which is now Super Brutality, which actually is not a bad tag team name. Uh, Tamina pulled Ripley off the ring apron and hit a super kick. Ripley got a hot tag and went on a run. Natalia hit her with a great German suplex. Ripley at the end blind tagged and grabbed Natalia from underneath while she was trying a sharpshooter on Nikki with a riptide for the win. And the crowd went wild for this finish. It seems like by pairing Nikki Ash with Rhea Ripley, who is super over, they're getting the tie turned on Nikki Ash. And you got to give credit to WWE. When they do stuff like this, it often works. And they figured out a way to get Nikki's character over and to get Rhea Ripley a lot more face cheers than she was getting one-on-one in the feud with Charlotte Flair. I'm not sure why this match happened, okay? Given that Shotzi and Knox have already beaten the champions three times in non-title matches, I believe at least once in a championship contenders match, maybe twice. Natalia and Tamina are now five and four in tag team matches since winning the titles, but have not defended them since the week after they won them in May. Yes, I know Natalia was injured for a bit. So all of that, that, you know, contextualization is obviously bad. But this match on its own was long, it was well-wrestled, and it was enjoyable. The crowd loves Ripley, loves the pairing with Nikki. So as far as what happened on Raw itself, this was actually good. I would like to see a triple threat for the tag team titles at Extreme Rules. If you do that with Shotzi and Knox, Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley, and Natalia and Tamina, then the booking of doing two challengers that have won these matches on both shows would actually make sense and be smart. I'm not gonna give them credit for that if or until they actually book it. Uh, Liv Morgan on SmackDown laughed backstage while watching Carmella pose with wind blowing in her face while getting her pictures taken. Naomi later approached Sonya Deville asking what she decided from her you know, debut on SmackDown two weeks ago. Sonya blew her off saying she didn't have the time and just to ask her next week. I hated that the women didn't have a match on the show and they were barely on SmackDown at all, but I did appreciate the efforts to include them in storylines and get them all on TV. So to another surprise of mine, I thought these segments were pretty good. Uh, Dolph Ziggler fought Rick Boogs on SmackDown. Tony Storm was just kind of chilling backstage. We haven't seen her in weeks. When Ziggler walked by, got distracted and suggested she join the Dirty Dogs at ringside for the match. She declined because she said she was rooting for Boogs, who basically 
did his Shinsuke Nakamura introduction as his own entrance music. And I think that also, by the way, established Tony Storm as a face by turning down Dolph Ziggler. Uh, but the whole thing was weird. Uh, Ziggler countered the pump handle slam only for Boogs to hit it a second later and beat Dolph Ziggler in two minutes. You guys know I love Rick Boogs, okay? There's probably no person who's an, as a bashed fan of Rick Boogs as the Silver King is right now. But this, squashing Dolph Ziggler, why are you even booking a match that isn't going to last at least seven to 10 minutes on television? This did not make a shred of sense. I don't even understand why Boogs needed this match or the win or why the match took place at all. That's how infuriating it was. This wasn't just bad. It was terrible. And it was ugly. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. As far as Tony Storm goes, I didn't necessarily mind her usage here because we know Ziggler is always going to hit on the new women who show up on whatever brand he's on. But I hope this doesn't become some extended storyline, even though if you look at Dolph and Tony Storm together, like aesthetically, it actually matches all together really, really well, considering what the type of stuff uh, like gear and the gimmick that Dolph Ziggler has had throughout his entire career. So in that respect, it actually works extremely well. I just hope that they don't debut Tony Storm basically by being a woman on Dolph Ziggler's arm. That would be very disappointing. But again, I love Boogs. I love Ziggler. This just did not work. Ugly. Speaking of ugly, Sami Zayn versus Dominic Mysterio. I don't mean Sami's ugly. I mean, the segment was ugly. Uh, This was an exact rematch from last week. We didn't get a lot of direct week over week rematches. In fact, this may have been the only one across both shows. So I appreciate that they're toning those back, but all they're really doing oftentimes is separating them by one week. Uh, Sammy got less than half of his entrance, maybe due to a time crunch on the show. Zayn began leaving ringside when Rey Mysterio walked down to stop him. Dominic got distracted and told his father to stop as Zayn hit him with a huluva kick for a win in two minutes. Now, I had less of a problem with this being short given the specific storytelling, but holy shit, was this bad. Why would you book a pair of two-minute matches when you could have just given Boogs and Ziggler 10 minutes on the show. This was more pathetic creative. And once again, I really was not an overall fan of SmackDown this week. And stuff like this is why this was ugly. So John Morrison faced Karrion Cross on Raw. And it all started with an episode of Moist TV, which was backstage and pre-taped with Cross as a guest. He wore a black suit and he actually looked intimidating on set with John Morrison. Cross said he wants to make people's worst dreams reality. And next on his list was Morrison. Morrison tried to deflect Cross. He's like, hey, why don't you go after the US title? Why don't you go after the WWE title? But he said he wasn't scared of him. Cross said his focus was on Morrison. Those titles would come and he would make him fall and pray. And I have to say, Karrion Cross in that segment with that promo actually looked good. And you're like, hey, this guy looks like a little bit of a badass. And every time I see him dressed in all black, wearing a suit, um, in street clothes like he was in NXT for a short period of time. You look at him as like a hitman, not a Bret Hart hitman, but like, you know, a, a movie villain hitman that's gonna come and, and just kill people. And that aesthetic works. But then five seconds later, they go right from Moist TV to ring entrances and you got the guy wearing his absurd gladiator gear. Morrison got beat, his ass got beat, 
and he shot Cross with the drip stick. Cross then suplexed him from inside the ring, over the ring post and outside, which was an insane spot. And credit to Morrison for taking it. It made Cross look like a monster. But then he rolls him back in the ring and taps him out in the cross jacket. The crowd was silent and seated this entire time. It looked like WWE was moving in a better direction with Cross, having him in that other segment. And then they just turn the page and have him look like an absolute idiot with his ring gear. Morrison split from Miz and it seemed like he was going to feud with Miz. Now he's just getting squashed in back-to-back weeks to Omos and Karrion Cross. That is infuriating as someone who likes Morrison and was excited for him to get a title run, or not a title run, but at least a singles run, where he was maybe contending for the mid-card title, or maybe he would win it eventually or something like that. This guy's gotten his ass kicked in back-to-back weeks. So the only reason I'm not saying ugly is Cross's promo early, but this was really, really bad once again. The 24-7 championship was on the line, Reggie, against Akira Tozawa. Reggie won in one minute with his flipping seated senton, and I'm not going to go crazy about the time of this match because it's the 24-7 title. Uh, but then after that, he dodged R-Truth, Cedric Alexander, it broke my heart to see him in this, and Humberto Carrillo before splashing a group of wrestlers that ran down. That included like Shelton Benjamin and Riker was there. I couldn't even believe he, I saw him on screen. But it also included fucking Jeff Hardy. I lost my mind that Jeff effing Hardy was in a 24-7 segment on Raw, not even challenging for the title in a regular match, running down with the rest of the jobbers. This is a two-time or will be a two-time Hall of Famer, a former WWE champion. What the hell are you doing? Then Reggie's going back up the ramp And Drake Maverick appears randomly, staring at Reggie, doesn't say a word. Now, I didn't mind the totality of the segment, to be honest. But Hardy even being there immediately made it bad. It couldn't be good with Jeff Hardy being there. Maverick looked like he was starting a new tag team in NXT just last week. And only now he's returning to Raw. So that's interesting. I'm happy for Drake Maverick that he's back on the main roster. Hopefully that means more money for him. I don't know the details. This 24-7 thing has completely run its course. Reggie's champion brought a little bit of life to it. It's, it's so dead. It's dead as a doornail at this point. And then lastly here, Dewdrop ranted on Eva Marie backstage and said, even though Re- Eva wasn't at Raw, she's not finished with her. She challenged her to a rematch, except they didn't have a match last week. So it's not really a rematch. But anyway, uh, Dewdrop said Eva tortured her for a month. And she's going to get her revenge next week on Raw. I hate the name Dewdrop. We all do. But she got a chance to cut a good promo and show that she has personality. And they're using Piper Nevin. And I have to say, ultimately, that is a good thing. So I'm saying good, but it's it's almost just to give her a break because this whole thing isn't that redeeming, right? So yeah, that was uh, SmackDown and Raw this week. As promised, I, I thought I was going to be able to kind of push this together in a tight show for you. And... I was able to definitely do that. Uh, Look, it was an odd week across both shows. SmackDown, not as good as normal, not even close, despite having a strong main event. Raw, better than normal, in large part because I liked the main event and I was able to find some redeeming qualities, particularly in that women's storyline. And certainly the United States Championship match was good, even though the booking was nonsensical. 
It's just the frustrations with WWE week to week. They're so obvious. It's the rematches. It's booking something well only for the result or the finish to be bad. It's giving us two minute matches. There were people who argued with me on Twitter that I am too tough on WWE for their two minute matches and their disqualification finishes. I can accept DQ finishes. I can accept a random two minute wrestling match once every three weeks because it's part of a storyline. But when you have an episode of SmackDown like we had on Friday that had two DQs in short matches and two matches that lasted two minutes, that's not good television. It's certainly not good wrestling television. And we watch WWE and we watch AEW and some of us watch New Japan because we like wrestling. We like sports entertainment too because you can't deny even AEW with its focus more on wrestling, there's a lot of sports entertainment there also. But we want the entire package. And it's okay if WWE gives us 65% sports entertainment and 35% wrestling, and AEW gives us 75% wrestling and 25% sports entertainment. I didn't really think about those numbers. I kind of just pulled them out of my ass. But it's okay for the products to be different. But you still need the part that's wrestling to be good and to make sense. And across either, whether it's sports entertainment or whether it's professional wrestling, you need the storylines and the booking to make sense. And you need things not to be repetitive and you need to give fans a reason to tune into your product. And that is where WWE is so disappointing. But look, we'll see. We'll see if the momentum that AEW has garnered from bringing in Brian Danielson and Adam Cole plus CM Punk uh, plus Ruby Soho, congrats to Ruby Riot for joining up there as well. We'll see how that momentum translates or does not translate into Dynamite, certainly on Wednesday, whether it creates legitimate competition for WWE that forces WWE to change. Because to this point, WWE has not changed. They have not looked at AEW as competition. And if they keep going on this way with the type of booking that they're giving us, I'm not saying that WWE is going to go out of business. It's not going to happen. They have huge TV deals. They're still doing massive ratings on Raw and SmackDown. But they may start hemorrhaging parts of their audience that prefer a different product. And it would be a shame for WWE and the talented roster it has. The men's roster is still loaded despite all the people they lost. The women's roster is the best in the industry, top to bottom. It would be a shame if all of these great people don't get to put on good wrestling in front of fans and you have matches like a Sheamus and Drew McIntyre that you get on Raw in front of a crowd that didn't care for it. That was so disappointing. That should not happen. The crowd should be a huge part of your product. They should get really excited like they were in the main event of Raw, cheering Omos and Lashley and all this, and New Day and all the stuff that was going on there. So that's it. That's that's the shows. That's SmackDown and Raw. That's my mini rant for the day. I appreciate all of you listening. We will be back Thursday this week with an AEW and NXT episode. We'll talk about the uh, you know fallout from AEW All Out, as well as the final... I guess black and gold skull heavy metal edition of NXT before it changes philosophies or at least at a minimum changes its look next week on September 14th. So that will be Thursday's episode. It's a two show week. I believe we have another two show week next week. The Silver King gets a little bit of a break. That's nice. Uh, But I appreciate all of you listening as always. Please do not forget that getting over. So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us 
on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, do me up to Tell people that you enjoy the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. So, for Vintage Chris Manini, who is not with us today, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein. Once again, thank you for listening and leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.